Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is beyond today's equity market and is for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, Global Market Strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, and I will be your moderator for today's episode. Joining me for our discussion is Paul Quincy, Head of Global Equity Group within J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks. Glad to be here. I think we should probably just jump right into it. It's been a hectic couple of weeks, a volatile couple of weeks for equity markets around the world. How are you thinking about this recent bout of volatility? Do you think it's the big one, right? Is this the end or is this just kind of a more normal correction within a broader cycle? It's certainly been quite a painful one. I think we've just seen the worst month in the U.S. stock market since 2010. We've seen some pretty big declines in markets around the world that were already down coming into October. Markets in the emerging world, for example, down well over 20% from the highs that they reached earlier this year. So pretty painful, not unusual in the context of equity investing, but still painful. It's interesting. It's coming at a time when companies are reporting their profits, and really their profitability still looks very good. We've seen earnings globally growing by 15 to 17% over the last 12 months. U.S. the standout well into the 20s. Technology by sector, the big standout, again, growing well into the 20s. The strength in profitability is pretty broad-based, and at the moment, there isn't that much sign of it changing. And yet, investors are really worrying about what happens next, and markets are selling off, and within the markets cyclical stocks have often sold off much more quickly. So we've got this dichotomy between strong profitability, earnings that appear to be growing, and a market that's lost confidence that that can continue. Yeah, and I think confidence and the loss of confidence in particular is really the big issue. And since the financial crisis, since the coming on of quantitative easing, I think that equity performance to an extent has been driven much more by confidence as opposed to fundamentals. And we think one of the big themes here is as we move from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening, perhaps asset prices will be driven much more by the fundamentals as opposed to how people feel about any given point of the equity market. But you touched on profits, and obviously this earnings season has been another solid one from an earnings growth standpoint. You're seeing the market reward those companies which have shown the ability to grow their revenues. It's valuing revenue beats a bit higher than it sometimes does on average. What are some of the broad trends, not only with respect to profits, but with respect to market performance broadly, that you're expecting to play out in 2019? So really, the big trend that's happened so far this year has been the dominance of returns globally by the U.S., in general, and U.S. technology in particular. It became, until September, a market that was narrower and narrower, other parts of the world falling away, Europe first, then the emerging world, and parts of the U.S. market, until really it seemed like the only stocks that people were interested in were the giant U.S. technology companies. Now, fundamentals there are really good. Those companies are growing as fast as ever, but they are much more expensive these days. And I would be very surprised if that dominance continued into 2019. I think what we're going to see is a revival in interest in other parts of the market and a revival in interest in other markets too. I think the idea that the U.S. will continue to outperform by quite as much as it has been is getting a little bit more difficult to believe. 
tech has obviously been kind of the darling of many large investors over the course of this cycle. I would say that based on what we're hearing, your view that maybe tech has seen its time in the sun is perhaps one contrarian theme that you guys are implementing next year. But kind of other contrarian themes that you think are worth touching on, you mentioned that you expect other markets to begin to do well. And we've been fighting the uphill battle of keeping people invested in developed international and EM over the course of 2018. What are your thoughts about markets outside of the US for next year? And do you have a preference for EM over DM? Yeah, I think we would suggest adding to emerging market holdings at the moment. Admittedly, we would have said the same thing a couple of months ago. But as we see it, first of all, the fundamentals are pretty reasonable. We're going through this difficult period, of course, in which the downside of strong US economic growth, the higher dollar, driven by higher rates, high oil prices. And then on top of all of that, all of the uncertainty around tariffs, that's added up to a pretty difficult mix for the emerging markets. But fundamentally, things are not as bad, I think, as investors seem to think they are. Profits still seem to be growing. And importantly, valuations are now, if not yet at the kind of levels that we see at the bottom of a real crisis, clearly on the undervalued side. And that's true Mm -hmm. for emerging markets in general in particular in the Asia-Pacific region, there's quite a lot of value building there. You mentioned value building, which leads me to, I think, another question that folks are particularly interested in at the current juncture, which is value versus growth. This plays to an extent into the conversation around tech that we were having earlier. You know, Based on some of our macro work, we have found that environments of solid economic growth, rising interest rates tend to be supportive of value overgrowth. Where do you guys shake out in terms of value next year? And maybe starting with what, in your opinion, has driven this significant underperformance of the value style over the course course of this cycle. I think the underperformance is, and you could look at it as the outperformance of growth, has strong fundamental roots, right? So profitability, particularly in technology, which is such an important part of this whole discussion. In the US, technology is about a third of the growth index these days. It's less than 10% of the value index. So when we're talking about value and growth, often we're talking about technology versus often financials. The fundamentals of technology companies have been terrific. Their outperformance has been well-earned, But all good things come to an end. And we feel like when you look at technology, you have to distinguish between the true secular growth and then the more cyclical parts of technology, particularly semiconductors and hardware. Those cyclical areas have started to show a little bit of weakness recently, and the stocks are already falling quite sharply. But that may continue for a while. And on the secular growth side, those companies, again, looking much more fully priced than they used to be. I think the root cause of growth outperformance has been very justified. But it's gone a very long way. And you mentioned that all good things must come to an end. I think that naturally leads to one good thing that's been happening in the markets with respect to profitability over the course of this year, which has been a continued march higher in margins. And I think some of the indigestion we've seen in the market as of late is people recognizing that trees don't grow to the sky and 12% operating margins are not necessarily sustainable in an environment of rising wages and rising rates. So can you talk a little bit about your outlook for margins and perhaps how you see the broader profit picture going over the next 12 or so months in terms of both the growth rate that you think investors can reasonably expect and where that growth is going to come from? You know, Is it going to come from an acceleration in the top line as margins come under pressure? Maybe debunking that fundamental profit argument a bit would be helpful. Yeah, I think this is an important question. Investors are very, very attuned to this at the moment. And you've seen some fairly savage reactions in the market to companies who've reported what looked like very good earnings and then have made what appeared to be mildly cautious statements about the future and seen their stock prices down significantly. Caterpillar is, I think, a really good example of that. 
They reported an 18% rise in revenues year on year, a 40% increase in profitability. They did mention that costs were heading up in some areas. The stock's now down 35% from where it was earlier in the year and trades around 10 times to 11 times earnings. So really a lot of fear. Look, we think earnings will certainly be slower next year. There's no question about that. For one thing, will anniversary out the benefit of the lower tax rates. That's a one-time step up in profitability. So the tax benefits endure, but they don't get any bigger. Secondly, economic growth will probably be a little slower. And thirdly, we do see some margin pressure. These margins are unbelievably good. Employment is tight. Commodities are starting to edge up in some areas, areas like transportation costs. It all adds up to a little bit of pressure. Mm. But it would be very unusual if earnings didn't grow again in this kind of economic environment. And we think that some of the fears we see at the moment are probably giving us more of an opportunity to be a little contrarian here rather than joining the chorus of worry that the cycle is about to end. Exactly. And one thing that we point out in our guide to the markets is the majority of equity bear markets in the U.S. have coincided with some sort of economic recession. And so with fiscal stimulus continuing to juice growth through the middle of next year and then an expectation that we simply return to trend rather than watching growth kind of drop off of a cliff, again, aligns our view with that of yours and your broader team in the sense that, yes, profitability growth should slow down here, but profitability growth isn't necessarily going to stop. Moving on, we're always interested, and clients I speak with are always interested, in hearing what other people are doing and what you're hearing in conversations with CIOs and other large institutional investors. So we'd love to hear just kind of maybe some highlights from the road in terms of what your conversations have been like, not only over the past couple of weeks as volatility has made a comeback, but perhaps over the past couple of months as well, given all of the trade concerns, rising rates, rising wages, so on and so forth. Yeah, there's an almost complete consensus that we are late cycle. You hear that phrase again and again and again. By the way, that's not just the clients that think that. Apparently, money managers do. A survey of global equity managers last week suggested that 90% of those folks would describe us now as in late cycle. That's the highest number ever seen in the survey. It was 10 points higher than the previous peak. So everybody thinks it's the end of the cycle. That's leading to interest in absolute return and more flexible strategies, long, short, and market neutral. It's leading to interest in income strategies again, perhaps because they tend to be more defensive in bad markets rather than necessarily reaching for yield itself. So that's one whole theme. Another theme, I think, of course, is the focus on the very wide gap between US equity returns and the rest of the world. You touched on this earlier. We've been wondering for a while when that gap would close. We thought last year that was beginning to happen. And then yet again this year, the US has gone on a tear for most of the first part of the year while the rest of the world was struggling. So the valuations in both Europe and Asia, we think look pretty interesting. The profit picture is reasonable. I think it makes sense to at least be rebalancing towards some sort of normal allocation and making sure that the markets don't take your US weighting up high. And we're hearing a lot of clients are doing that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I would agree, particularly for those folks that have a longer term view and can see through some of the short term noise. There is a clear valuation opportunity outside of the US. And given the importance of valuations when it comes to predicting future returns, I think that that's definitely something worth tuning into. Another question that we get quite often, I'm sure you get it quite quite often as well, is how should one think about accessing these different markets at the current juncture? Active has obviously had a very challenging time over the course of this cycle. You and I have talked about some of the reasons for that, whether it be quantitative easing, rates held at zero, an uneven distribution of global growth, skewness in valuation, so on and so forth. How do you think investors should go about thinking about portfolio construction 
going forward, given some of these broader themes that we've discussed here about international and value and so on and so forth? So our team is a group of active managers. Of course, we're biased here. I would say that when you look at the track record of active management, you get a quite a different picture when you look at some of the international markets and particularly the emerging markets than you do in the US. It really feels like in this cycle, active managers have found the going most toughest here at home. Mm -hmm. And in Europe and in Asia, the results have been better overall and there have been many more opportunities. I do agree with you. I think another factor I would add in has just been the narrowness of returns of late. That never tends to be a good environment for active managers. And in the US with investors increasingly gravitating towards felt like for a while really just about technology and not that much else, then that obviously made things more difficult. And as that dynamic changes, as the market broadens out a bit, that's clearly an opportunity here. Exactly. And one thing that we always come back to is exactly the point you were making about international, you know, analyst coverage tends to be so much lower. There's just more room for inefficiencies to build. And as a result, more room for active managers to generate that alpha. So we've talked about a lot today. We've talked about trends we're seeing. We've talked about recent volatility, kind of some opportunities, some potential pitfalls. Falls. What are you most excited about as we move into next year? And kind of what's the one thing that you believe investors need to keep an eye on? You mentioned that there's relatively good consensus around the fact that we're late cycle. In a late cycle environment, let's agree with the consensus for a moment. What should people be focused on? What are the risks and what are some of the opportunities? As people wonder about when the next recession comes, and of course, mathematically, we're getting closer to it, then I think it is quite normal to see markets go through periods of volatility like this, and there'll be more of them. Mm -hmm. So strategies that can help mitigate that, like income strategies, the downside protection you get, I think that's useful. I do think there is merit in well-managed, long-short strategies where you have that flexibility, you're not just taking a beta of one the whole time. Strategies where perhaps some of the risk of the markets is hedged out through options. Those are things that probably make sense from here. I don't think you're leaving enormous gains on the table by having a lower beta than one. And if it means you can live with markets for longer, stay invested, then I think that that is in general a good thing. I think just in terms of what's exciting too, it is worth pointing out that both in the US and the rest of the world, the difference between the way that the cheap stocks and the expensive stocks are priced, we often talk about the valuation spread, that's pretty wide. Globally, we've measured that well into the 80s percentiles recently, and really only much wider than this at times of absolute crisis and panic. So that excites me because it suggests some opportunity. When that spread starts to narrow, then a lot of opportunities for active managers to make money. Great. Well, Paul, thank you again for joining us on the Center for Investment Excellence, and hopefully we'll have you back sometime again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today on the JP Morgan Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes on iTunes or on our website. Recorded on November 2nd, 2018. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II and MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice.
All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yield are not a reliable indicator of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL. In Hong Kong, by JF Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited. In Singapore, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, co-reg number 197-601-586-K or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore, Private Limited, co-reg number 201-120-355-E. In Taiwan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited. In Japan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number, Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330. In Korea, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Korea Company Limited. In Australia, to wholesale clients only, as defined in Sections 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 551-438-32080, AFSL 376919. In Brazil, by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A. In Canada, for institutional clients' use only, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada Incorporated, and in the United States, by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated and J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, both members of FINRA and J.P. Morgan Investment Management Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2018, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved.